0: My message this morning is entitled, The Backsliders Near Ruin and the Far Reach of Mercy. The Backsliders Near Ruin and the Far Reach of Mercy. And those really are my two two thoughts that I want to uh, lead you into with uh, the help of the Lord from our passage. Anyone who's gone any length of time in the Christian life will be somewhat acquainted with his or her heart. And in order to be useful to to others, whatever task God has given us, we need to know something of our weakness and our proneness to to backslide. Uh, To slide back in the Christian life is the opposite of what we're called to do. Uh, The Bible speaks about us uh, following on to know the Lord pressing towards the mark of the prize of the upward call of God. To run the race set before us, looking unto Jesus. To backslide is the very opposite of that. It's to turn back, to slide back, to look back. it's, It's that principle inside of us that wanders from God like a lost sheep. And we read in the Bible that God has no pleasure in that. There's a great book on backsliding by Octavius Winslow called Personal Declension and Revival in the Soul. It's an excellent book to hold close in our our pilgrimage. And Winslow traces the steps of spiritual decline that can happen in our heart when we slide back from God. He points out how backsliding starts a lot of times before we're aware of it, when love uh, to Christ cools, when faith grows dim, when prayer becomes common and ordinary, not fervent, uh, not sought after, when we become tired and fatigued of the cost involved in following Christ. And as a result of these things, world conformity, love of ease, tolerating sin creeps into our lives. And after that, the seeking out of sin. And upon that comes this this sleep, this heavy sleep, this spiritual fatigue from which it is so difficult to, to awake. And this is exactly the path that Jonah took, as this first chapter of the book uh, named after him makes clear. He reaches the point when, in verse 6, the shipmaster comes to him and says, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God, if so be that God will think upon us, that we perish not. Remarkable insight from the shipmaster, regarding Jonah and many of us. I want to trace out the anatomy of backsliding in our lives, uh, per, per Jonah's experience here. And the, the first evidence of backsliding, I don't think it's the root, but The evidence of backsliding in Jonah's life was that he turned away from the word of God and from the call of God. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. And then right on the heels of this call, this revelation, this word of God... But Jonah rose up to flee into Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa. Now, we know that Jonah was not a false prophet of the Lord. You can read more about him. I won't go there. In 2 Kings 14, verse 25, he, he's a true prophet of the Lord, but he's a true prophet here who, who deals falsely with God and treacherously with his own soul. God says A, and Jonah does B. God says go east, and Jonah goes west. God says go preach, and Jonah goes to sleep. What is the Word of God in our souls right now? Is it the divinely inspired, non-negotiable Word of God that claims every fiber in our being. Backsliding involves turning away from the Word of God and the call of God. But secondly, I think here we're more in terms of the root of backsliding. Backsliding involves a lack of sensitivity to the mercy of God in Jesus Christ and our need for mercy. Mercy. As you read this book of Jonah, you find that Jonah's chief objection to obey the command of God and go to Nineveh was, as he says in chapter 4, I knew that thou wert a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, great of kindness and repentance of the evil. Jonah knew the heart of God. And even when God says, go and cry against that city, it's very interesting, isn't it? Uh, You might think that Jonah would love to have done that. Uh, Judgment oracles, crying against Nineveh, the enemy of Israel. But Jonah knew enough about God that he knew in the intention to bring a message to Nineveh that there was this heart of God, which was merciful and gracious And full of compassion. And easy to be entreated. And repents him of the evil. He knew God to that extent. So that when this this call came to preach against Nineveh. He saw behind it the heart of God. And in that moment. There was in Jonah's life. No receptivity. Of this merciful heart of God. Towards those around him. And. Corresponding with that, there was no need for the Lord's own mercy for him. He he could do without that mercy. And so he runs from God. He runs away from this God whose compassionate and merciful heart he knew and had experienced. So I ask us this morning, what does it take in our life? to bring us to the place where we don't want others to know the merciful heart of God Well, perhaps it isn't that we do exactly what Jonah does but our heart isn't receptive to God's mercy and we don't see the Lord's we don't see the need that people have for the mercy of God you see God makes us channels of his mercy. and When he mercies us, he does this in order that we would seek for others to also know the mercy of God. The love of Christ constrains us, Paul says. And this is the deeply rooted problem of Jonah here in our text, that he's come to see the mercy of God as something that he has a claim to over against others and a mercy that he can manage and control. And he's no longer that empty channel to transport that mercy to needy souls around him. I wonder how you stand today, this morning, with respect to the mercy of God. Do you need it? Absolutely, in your soul. It's more than life more than your next breath. It's the loving kindness of our God. It's more than life to me. And others need this. Because once you've tasted from mercy, you can't live without it. And you want the whole world to know and experience mercy. And so don't miss this lack of the sensitivity to the character of God and especially His Loving kindness and His mercy for you as a sinner. You're in need of that. So very much. When it becomes commonplace, when it becomes expected, when you have this attitude of entitlement, ownership of the mercy of God, you're already backslidden. And the third step and the last step that we want to deal with here is this backsliding results in estrangement from God. It involves seeing the presence of God as negotiable at best. And and in Jonah's case, and we can come there as well, the the presence of God is a problem. It's something that he needs to be rid of. He turns away from it. Now we might look at Jonah and think this is just foolish to to try to flee from the presence of God. But, But in a certain sense, this is... This is the very essence of backsliding is to keep ourselves at a safe distance from God, from the God who molds us and shapes us and challenges us and makes us trophies of mercy. To be like that older son in the parable, to stand outside with our demands, with our thoughts, but not ready to be nothing but a recipient of God's loving kindness. You know, we can sit in church, but be far from God. We can be in seminary and a world away from God. We can be a worker in the kingdom of God, but like Jonah, asleep in the bottom of a ship, so to speak, insensitive to God, insensitive to the needs of our soul insensitive to people around us where the barriers are tall and the walls are thick and there's a shroud of death over our lives and and the worst of it is that's what we want you see this is an important insight to have into backsliding because a lot of times we think that backsliding is the result of our sins And though our sins play play a factor in it, it, it's really our sin that is the problem. Our sin of living distant from God. Of not wanting God's mercy to fill us and control us and govern us and to live out of the free mercy of God. It's not so much our actions, they are a result of backsliding, but our antipathy... To live apart from God's mercy. And a lot of times pride, laziness, bitterness, ease. The failure to recognize ourselves as in desperate need of the mercy of God. Lies at the root of backsliding. We go this whole long path until we slide to the bottom of the ship of this world. We're useless and we have this blockish insensitivity to God, to ourselves and to those around us. And were it not for the long reach of the mercy of God, the very mercy that we don't care for in that moment, we would be lost forever. But it is that mercy of God which is exalted here in This chapter alongside, which we see alongside this backsliding of Jonah. This is our second thought, the far reach of of mercy. Now, Jonah had run from God, but for reasons known only to God, God pursued him. God pursued him in at least four stages here in the text. And each of them is instructive here in terms of what we and learn about the heart of God. We've seen the heart of Jonah, but the heart of God is, is an amazing thing. There goes Jonah to the east, to Joppa, to, to, to Joppa, and then to the sea and heading towards Tarshish. But God comes after him, and God pursues him. First of all, in this storm, he sends this wind, and the sea becomes this cauldron in which everything speaks of God's severe mercy in hot pursuit of Jonah. Jonah, you can't hide from God. You can't run from him. There you go, but God is after you. The hound of heaven is on your heels. And Jonah sleeps in the middle of this storm. Imagine that. God is in hot pursuit of him, but... Jonas sleeps. You know, sometimes sleep steals upon a person, but but here, Jonah's sleep is is something that he he clutches, he embraces, he holds sleep hostage. Uh, he embraces a willful com- comatose sleep with every fiber in his being. Maybe those of you who have children or you've had. Um, loved ones or friends who, who don't want to do what you're asking them to do, and they feign to be asleep, and, and, and you, you, you talk to them, and you peer at them, and you call them, but they're, they're, they're asleep. Well, well, Jonah doesn't feign sleep here. He, he clutches on to sleep as this huge barrier between him and God. Nothing will wake him, even these rough and tough sailors, used to bad weather. They're scared stiff, they throw their precious cargo overboard, but Jonah sleeps. Jonah's brain is decidedly against any evidence of God's control. He refuses to register the storm. Jonah had gone down into the sides of the ship, and there he lay and was fast asleep. It's something when the world has to shake the church awake and tell it to pray. When in the great storms of life, the world, which generally speaking does not have much use for the church, but in that very moment addresses us and says, what do you mean, O sleeper? Arise, call upon your God. In other words, man, how can you sleep? How can you professing Christians just lie there so insensitive to what's happening? Are you dead? Are you sleeping your last precious moments away? Do you have no answers? What's this praying and prayer that you're always talking about? Call upon your God. The fierce storm is the first stage of God's hot pursuit of Jonah. But but secondly, there is these frightened sailors, and and then specifically I'm talking about their casting of lots. They, They have some sense that something is terribly wrong, and so they go about this as the best way they know how. They cast lots, and God is in all of this, and the lot falls on Jonah. And God, as it were, uses these frightened sailors who hover there over Jonah and all of them point their finger at him and say, Jonah, you are the man. What have you done? You got all these fingers pointing at you. The, the world and God behind them is saying, you are the man. What have you done? This is God in hot pursuit of Jonah. The finger of God is pointing here at Jonah. How long, Jonah, will you try to escape from me? How long will you harden yourself against me? And Jonah, as we saw, is not at war with with so much the majesty of God or the righteousness of God. But he's at war with the mercy of God. And God is pursuing him and mercifully dealing with him. Every warning that comes his way is a sign of mercy. In other words, Jonah, come back to me. Jonah, how far are you going to go in this war against mercy? And yet even this does not break Jonah. The third stage of, of God's pursuit of Jonah is, is equally remarkable, because it's the conversion of the sailors. These people not only are are agents of of God's convicting power in his life, but God's mercy claims them. And Jonah watches this. They they fear God. They they cry to God. And they're converted. We don't know how much of this Jonah witnessed and, and saw, but it's recorded for us. They feared the Lord exceedingly. They pay their vows. It's an amazing thing. He's told to go and cry to Nineveh. What ends up happening is is these sailors, these Gentile sailors, they, they tell him to cry to God. And he still won't cry to God. And they're converted. They're converted without his instrumentality They're they're converted without a word, really, from him about the true God. God's mercy shows itself to be so unilaterally great, immense. It's right there on display before Jonah. How the Lord loves to have mercy. Paul has some indication about how this works. In God's purposes, he... He shows how in his particular case, the overtures of mercy went through the synagogues, through the people who were called by God's name, but Gentiles far and wide were being saved. I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people, and by a foolish nation I will provoke you, God says through Paul in Romans 10 verse 19. It's never happened to you that people around you were converted just out of pure secularism without your instrumentality. God's mercy was so great. And it was on display. What did that do? This was God's pursuit of Jonah. Jonah, my heart is so full of mercy. You must, you can. You should live off of that. But finally, congregation, the one thing that ultimately did break Jonah was this last, this fourth stage of God's pursuit of Jonah. And that is when he reaches the sea into which he's cast, God had prepared a fish to swallow him up. It's a remarkable thing that Jonah's war against mercy was such that he preferred death over owning God's mercy. Take me up and cast me forth into the sea, so shall the sea be calm unto you, for I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. Rather than turn to God in humiliation and repentance, he'd rather die. His heart is a clenched against God even till this very moment do you see friends how hard it is to live out of free mercy what a portrait this is of the natural man people like us left to to ourselves to rather die than to have God's mercy do you recognize that at all in your own heart oh yes it's remnants of the old nature but sometimes they can become so strong in you you're really an enemy of the mercy of God. What a mercy it is that the Lord's mercy is stronger than even this desire to die. And so, this matchless mercy of God won't let Jonah die. He prepared a whale to swallow him up. And there, in the belly of the fish, three days and three nights, Jonah does something that until this moment he refused to do. But mercy has broken him. He cries. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly. And he cries to the Lord. Somehow the mercy of God has been too strong for him. Too powerful. He's reached that place where he can no longer live without the Lord's mercy. And in this psalm, as you you can read it there, which is a conflation of different texts in the Old Testament, the one cry after the other cry, he comes to discover something that will change the course of his life, at least to a certain extent. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy, he says. And that's what he had done too. The idolatry of his heart had made him turn aside and turn away from the mercy of God. But here in the fish's belly, he receives a new respect and a new love for the mercy of God. And this readies him to embrace this mercy and to once again be a channel of the Lord's mercy to others. And so, dear friends, this morning... God doesn't want us to die. God wants us to cry. To cry for His mercy. And everything He does in our lives, whether it's through others, whether it's through the world, whether it's through providence, is all aimed at this one thing. That we would need God and live out of free mercy. This is the cure for the spirit of backsliding that overtakes us and we will continue to do so again and again here's the great weapon against the, ons- the onslaught that backsliding makes upon our soul is to live low to the ground dependent on mercy needing mercy adoring mercy loving mercy tasting mercy each and every day and thanks be to god for that pursuit of our souls by mercy all for the sake of the one in the fullness of time 3 days and 3 nights was in the belly of the earth without this loving kindness that Jonah received he was willing to stand there in the breach in the gap in that hell that Jonah deserved and that Jonah chose That's how powerful. That's how large. That's how deep the mercy of God is. Oh, well, that we would adore it sooner rather than later. And that God would use it to mold us and to shape us and make us vessels of mercy to tell the world, to tell others that God's mercy has been too strong for us. Let's pray together. Lord, we confess in these moments that were it not for thy mercy in hot pursuit over us sinners, we'd be lost forever. Thank thee for Jesus Christ, mercy embodied, coming all the way, all the distance, to fill the gap, to stand as the sinner before thee, In order that backsliders like ourselves would be, yes, near ruin, but never completely ruined, all because of mercy. Help us, Lord, to adore mercy for ourselves and others. In Jesus' name, amen.